Hello, Devin Wilkins. Hi, Simon Trevoranis. How are you? I'm doing great, and how are you? I'm good, thanks. And hello to everybody out there, and welcome to Insight Peterborough, which is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And Council for Persons with Disabilities. All right, good. We have a jam-packed uh, show again, which is wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that we keep, uh, we're able to keep finding guests. But last uh, Friday night was the um, concert of the Peterborough New Horizons Band. And uh, we have a selection that wasn't played then but was played when I first uh, began in um, PNHB and it's called Evening with the Masters. <laughs> That was uh, the Green Band of uh, the Peterborough New Horizons Band and uh, Evening with the Masters. That was from back in 2012. 
So we have uh, our first guest today, and uh, their name is Derek, yeah, Derek Newman Still. And uh, Derek, you're uh, a writer focused mostly on disability issues. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I should just start out by uh, I teach at Trent University. Um, but I also um, do a lot of activist work and uh, and a lot of uh, fiction and nonfiction writing as well. A lot of my work tends to be uh, situated around disability because I, I'm disabled. So write what you know, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I've I've done a few different uh, types of work. So I do a lot of my scholarly work um, around representations of disability in Canadian science fiction and fantasy. And uh, a lot of my fiction work somehow ended up also being um, in the realms of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, and so uh, I've had a, a lot of kind of experience in those areas. And, and I think that's really important to look at, especially representations of disability in science fiction. Mm -hmm. um, because so often uh, science fiction writes us out of the equation uh, and pretends as though the future is just non-disabled, as though somehow we've been disappeared from the future. Um, and so a lot of my work is on that focus on bringing us back in and pointing out that we're here and we're going to be here for a long time. Exactly. Uh, what really irritates me is uh, I like uh, watching The Onion, The Restless. Oh, yes. And yeah. uh, everybody that has a disability uh, one way or the other, they're magically cured. Of course. Yes, which just drives me crazy. We we talk about that a lot in, in scholarship around uh, disability as well. Um, there's the, the, the technological cure or, in fantasy, the magical cure. Yes. Um, and it's as though able-bodied writers can't conceive of someone living and having a disability. I know, and yeah. So they either manipulate their plots so that we only live for a short time after becoming disabled or um, they have us magically healed somehow by yeah. a new technological invention or or some new type of magic or uh, my favorite is with people with with uh, brain injuries when somehow they they tend to in a lot of fiction fall again hit their head and suddenly are cured from yes. I guess the anti-concussion concussion yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so You've just uh, written a book uh, recently, haven't you, that has been published? Yeah, um, I have two books out this year. Um, one is called uh, Over the Rainbow, Folk and Fairy Tales from the Margins, uh, which focuses on um, essentially rewriting fairy tales from the perspectives of marginalized folks. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, um, because so often we're told that... Um, that fairy tales aren't changeable, but of course, they're oral narrative. They've always been changeable and they've always changed. And yet they they don't include disabled voices or they include us as the villains. Yes. Um, and so uh, I thought it was important for us to have the the ability to bring in um, some some marginalized voices, both from, from the disabled community, but also from the queer community and from the community of, of Black, Indigenous, people of colour um, and other underrepresented groups to show we're really important to, to telling stories. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're a part of life, so uh, yeah. might as well... Uh, Talk about us and get us out there and yeah. that sort of thing. I'm always surprised at how often the disability is used for an evil character. Like the evil yes. character has has a disability or 
Uh, it just seems so common. The hunchback of Notre Dame. You don't think yes. about it much, but now that we've said it on the air, I mean, somebody yeah. watching this or listening to this, you'll see things differently. Absolutely. And especially, um, it ties into a trope that we, we call um, the self-loathing cripple trope, um, where often the reason why the character is a villain is because they hate themselves in the disabled body. Yeah. And so they then enact villainous acts to um, to take it out on the able-bodied world, which I think shows us a lot about able-bodied fears of disability as well. Yes. Um, it really kind of shows that that discomfort that folks have around uh, around disabled bodies, and that that lack of knowledge I think uh, facilitates a lot of that. Hmm. I, I wonder how many people know somebody who is living with something like that. I mean, how many kids grow up never even meeting somebody or knowing somebody, so the only chance they get to see them, they're represented as an evil character in a, in a, in a Disney film or something. Yeah. Well, it, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, especially since uh, so often disabled folks, uh, we tend to be institutionalized a lot, so our society functions on this basis of hiding us. Um, so we frequently have that, that kind of philosophy of, um, if you don't see the disabled person, then you don't have to create any accommodations for them. Yeah. Um, and it, it influences the way, especially people grow up thinking about disability, because all they're seeing is us represented as villains or us represented as um, people who hate themselves or us represented only shortly until um, character death. Um, we use the term for that trope. Uh, it's called the better dead than disabled trope oh. um, because the, the writers can't think of a way that someone could live a happy life and be disabled. Yeah. And just to, to kind of uh, illustrate the way that plays out in, in the real world, um, when when Stephen Hawking died, I, I posted something about the problematic representation of him um, because people were showing images of him standing up and walking out of his chair um, and into oblivion. And I was like, this is really problematic to, yeah. to try to conceive of him as able-bodied after death. And people wrote tons and tons of hate mail to me saying, um, like, we're just trying to be nice and it's better for him and he's better off. And uh, and then when I was like, well, I'm a disabled person and I, I, I'd i like to think that I'm happy and, and living happily. And they were like, this is just ridiculous. It's a joke. You can't be happy and disabled. Um, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm toning down the language because there was a lot more, <laughs> a lot more yeah. colorful language in there. Yes, yes. <laughs> That reminds me of a conference that I went to a number of years ago, and apparently the, one of the guys that was speaking said that um, he had uh, um, oh, SMA, uh, spinal muscular atrophy, yeah. and uh, he developed a case of pneumonia, and the doctor looked at him and said, you don't really want medication, do you? So, what? I know, isn't that despicable it's unbelievable yeah I, I shouldn't say it's unbelievable because it's it happens all the time but yeah. it, it's just frustrating it sure is yes in this day and age I mean you'd think that people would learn by the by this time for goodness sake Anyway, uh, so that was that's your first book, and what is your the second book that's out? Oh, right, now? yes, that's important to cover too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the the other book that I have out this year um, is a collection of stories called "We Shall Be Monsters," and <laughs> it's uh, it's about the legacy of Frankenstein because last year uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein turned two hundred, uh -huh. um, and so we wanted to do something that honored uh, Mary Shelley's legacy. Um, 
and especially something that really delved into body texts. And um, unlike with Over the Rainbow, I, I didn't put a huge amount about specifically requesting stories from people in marginalized communities, but that's most of what came in. And those, of course, were the, the strongest stories because there's something about understanding the position of Mary Shelley's like Frankenstein's monster um, through that notion of the body and through ideas of oppression. And so much of that um, was reflected in the writing. Um, so we had an, a lot of stories that were really wonderfully um, what I would call body texts. They were they were focused on the representation of the body and uh, and the monster's experiences of life through the body. So it was it was a really wonderful set of stories that came in. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you you got uh, stories from various people, did you? Yes, so this was an edited collection, and ah. we had people um, from all over the world. Over the Rainbow was exclusively Canadian, um, but for We Shall Be Monsters, we decided to open it up. We did get approximately about um, 60% of the stories that we chose were Canadian, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's, uh, that's, again, part of my preference as an <laughs> editor. As I was reading them, there were a lot of themes that resonated with me, and they ended up being written by Canadian authors. Because um, I, I purposely kind of did not look at who who was sending things in until after I've chosen the stories, and then noticed some trends in terms of oh I'm choosing stories by folks from Canada, <laughs> folks who are marginalized, um, and and I think that that meant it was a really interesting collection of texts that I think will appeal to non Canadians as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that there are a number uh, is a number of Canadians that are writing about disability issues. Yeah, in in fact, there's a, a collection that is just um, being formed now. I've got a story in it. Um, it's a collection called Nothing Without Us. Oh, good. Um, that is, uh, it's being edited by. Uh, it's through Renaissance Press, and it's being edited by uh, by Cat Gordon and uh, by Talia Johnson. And uh, it's all stories by disabled folks, um, multiple different genres. I wrote science fiction. I know, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and my story was sort of about, um, it's called Charity um, TM, <laughs> like trademark. <laughs> okay. um, because uh, what, I, what I do in the story is I, um, I tell a story of not too distant future um, where we folks with disabilities have to go to these... Um, charity shows and essentially have to show off our disabled bodies in order to be able to get funding um, through um, a company called Charity, um, which, uh, which then funds us because of government cutbacks. And so um, I wanted to show the kind of the way that our disabled bodies are being treated like objects um, and, our, um, and the fact that our, our governments are are moving further and further away from support programs for us. Yes. Um, and defunding us over and over and over again. And so I'm, I'm excited to see the rest of the stories in the collection too, because I, I have a feeling, um, like knowing the editors, it's going to be a really interesting collection um, full of very eclectic stories around disability. Mm -hmm. when, you, sorry, Simon. Yeah, you've got a question, Devin. Go for it. I'm going to go out next. I was just going to ask, uh, when, do you know when that might be out? I believe it's being kickstarted right now, oh. um, and so they're they're trying to to get funding from the community to be able to um, uh, to pay their authors and to pay for publication. Um, 
I don't know when the Kickstarter stops, uh, but I, I believe it's out this year. It should be out later on this year. Okay. Um, I should probably check with the editors before yeah. I say that, but I'm going to say maybe this year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if not, then early next year. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I'm just really excited about it. They've asked me to also write the uh, the introduction for it as well. Oh, wonderful. Um, and so I'm excited about how I can bring those stories together and talk about this idea around the need for fiction by disabled people um, that are also for disabled people. Because so often, and I'm, I'm sure we've all read stories by disabled people that are written assuming an able-bodied audience. Yes. Um, and it's just nice to have stories that are written by us for us. Yeah. Um, mm. And so I'm I'm really excited about about seeing stories that don't have to go into details, pathologizing our bodies first. Right. But instead, like just jump right into the story. Yes. Mm hmm. Simon. So I'm curious. Uh, I don't read a lot myself, and and I don't watch a lot of shows, and I don't. Yeah. I don't take on a lot of media, but. Uh, I mean, are there really great examples of popular uh, text or media where people are represented well in, in all forms of life? And do you think that, uh, just a second build-on question, yeah. do you think that the right way to go to try and get everybody to see things differently, to, to have specific categories of film and media and art, or do you think we should try to hide it or embed uh, really, really positive representations in everything and try to just make sure we're all... Uh, represented? I think we've got a, a lot of educating to do for folks um, around um, around how to write fiction um, that represents disability in a positive, I shouldn't say positive, in a, um, in a realistic way. Um, because a lot of folks, uh, I give a lot of talks on uh, at authors' conferences, writers' conferences, on how to write disability. And, uh, and often what ends up happening is... Um, people will ignore everything that I've said and then send me a manuscript that they're like, okay, oh. here's my manuscript. And it'll be what we call in the disabled community inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. um, the, the term inspiration porn is used for, um, I'm sure we've all seen um, these on Facebook, but the, uh, the, the worst disability in life is a bad attitude or um, things along those lines. Yeah. Or um, you never know what you can do and it'll have an, an image of a disabled person doing something totally normal. Um, and so a lot of folks will, will think that they need to write a positive story about disability, but then we'll make it entirely about turning us into inspiration, um, turning us into um, essentially hollow characters that are uninteresting, that are just made to be in, inspirational to able-bodied people. Um, I think we have a, a lot of this issue in in a lot of our fiction, and it kind of subtends a lot of uh, a lot of the tropes that happen in our fiction. And ultimately, I like to tell people: if you write a character who is disabled, whose only dimensionality is they're disabled, that's not a rich character. That's not an interesting character. Um, so it's not only good for uh, us disabled folks to see characters that are well-rounded. It's good for the author as well to go beyond just writing a trope. And I've seen authors who have said things like, you know, I gave the story, uh, I gave the character a backstory. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the backstory? They're blind. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and what's the backstory? Yeah. Well, uh, that's why I use images of darkness. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh. 
Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have this happen so often in our fiction. And, and I think what we need to do is really look hard at the way that disability is being talked about in our social discourse and how that relates to fiction. And, and I mean that both ways, because often the way we talk about disability influences the way we write about disability, the mm -hmm. way that films portray disability. But those, those writings and those films also reinforce the social messages around disability in our society, too. And so uh, when folks, for example, are, are portraying disability um, in, in their artwork as something that is uh, one of one of my least favorite tropes is the faking it trope, um, where someone is faking their disability, mm -hmm. quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and that's often for a lot of mystery books that ends up being the the plot is the person mm -hmm. was faking it and therefore they're a criminal. Um, and of course, we can see the impact that has on perceptions around uh, disability support programs. The fact that often more money is spent um, on researching disabled people, on questioning disabled people then it's actually giving out in support money itself. Um, and so we often see that perception that most disabled people are faking it, when of course there's no impetus for us to do that. Who wants to, uh, for example with ODSP, who wants to live below the poverty line, right? Yeah, precisely. Mm. Well, that's a, that was a really good answer. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about blabbing on there. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I feel yeah. a bit passionate about the topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we yeah. could talk about this for hours, and I guess yeah. that's why there's a course about this, or you're teaching this type of thing at Trent. In, in different ways, yeah. Um, I've taught a couple of different courses. I always try to bring disability into my teaching as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I've had courses uh, this past year. I've had two courses that were directly related to disability. Uh, one was a disabled feminisms course. Uh, taught through women and gender studies, and the other was um, uh, mental health and education taught through the master's program in education. Um, but in the past, normally I've taught through the English department, and frequently there, um, often there's pressure to teach the canonical texts in most English departments. There tends to be a focus on... I'm like, sorry, the canonical? Yeah, so... What like, does that mean? Uh, teach the big names. Oh, okay. And so, you know how everyone says, like, you need to have read Shakespeare. You need to have oh, okay. read... Oh, yes. Um, and they'll, they'll list things. Um, often that those texts that tend to be preferred by, by most um, folks teaching tend to be written by straight, able-bodied white men. Um, and so often, um, I, I think the, that we need to see more representations of those who aren't covered in the canon of, of literature. Um, folks, especially, um, I like to teach a lot about folks who are uh, people of color, um, folks that are disabled, folks that identify as queer, um, authors who are women, um, and I think that's really important for us to bring into... Um, <coughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Uh, into a lot of our, our teaching, because we need to give a sense of the the bigger world of fiction that's out there, and especially because our our students are aware of those bigger worlds of fiction um, and are often interested in those areas. They tend to be really passionate about the folks that they haven't heard from before. They don't want another course that, that just talks about Shakespeare. <laughs> they yeah. want one that brings in, like, what are other people talking about? Hmm. Great. So where can people... Um get your books uh, for, uh, to, to read. Uh, the library, are, are they in our local library? 
Uh, I sent in a request for them to bring them in because they do mm -hmm. have a, a local author section. And so I don't know if they've gotten them yet. I'll have to check in again. Okay. Um, but there's also, there's copies in the, for folks in Peterborough in the local chapters as well um, of, uh, of Over the Rainbow. Um, and both books, uh, Over the Rainbow and We Shall Be Monsters, can be bought on Amazon. Um, and pretty much anywhere that sells books. Are they in audible format? Sorry, Simon. Not yet that I'm aware of. It's mm -hmm. something that I've been really pushing for because um, one of the things I talked about with both publishers was the need for us to have accessible versions. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I'm hoping that we can work on that process of getting together an audiobook. It is something that we were able to get. Um, so uh, the... Um, the anthology I was telling you about of disabled fiction um, uh, called Nothing Without Us is uh, is actually getting an audiobook, um, and we've Good. made sure and confirmed that, um, which is wonderful. Um, and uh, so I'm excited that that's going to be coming out. I'm hoping that we can do the same for the other collections as well. There seems to be more of a focus uh, from programs like Audible of doing full novels instead of uh, collections of fiction. Uh, yeah. And so I'm hoping that uh, that maybe we can push to have that happen because I, I think we benefit from hearing short stories as well. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. So we do have to get moving on to our pre-recorded interview or we're going to run oh, out yes. of time. Sorry. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming. That's uh, great. And I wish you all the best of luck with your um, three uh, books, uh, the two that you already have and the one that's coming out. And uh, mm. I'm hoping we can chat again someday. Thank you. And if you, if for listeners, if you are interested in following up on my work, uh, I have a, a website on disability called Disabled Embodiment and a website on Canadian science fiction and fantasy called Speculating Canada. And so you can do a search for either of those and, and find my work that way. Dot com or dot CA? Uh, the Speculating Canada is speculatingcanada.ca. Uh -huh. And Disabled Embodiment is disabledembodiment.wordpress.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I All really right. appreciate Thank the you. chance to, to chat with such brilliant people. <laughs> and uh, I hope we get a chance to bring you on to my show at some point as well, if you have time. Yeah, I'd love uh, to. Because it would be lovely to chat Me with you too. again. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Derek. Thank you very much. Yeah. Have a great day. You too now. Have we got... So I'm joined with uh, Terrell, Nicole, Elaine, and Melanie here at the uh, Brain Injury Association of Peterborough Region. So, hello everyone. Hello. hello. So, uh, so where are we? What's going on here? Well, uh, you're at the Brain Injury Association, um, and uh, you're in our boardroom right now, and we are very, very happy to have you here, Simon, to talk about brain injury. Um, we're really excited. This is a, an exciting time of year, um, in particular for us, because we're coming up to June Brain Injury Awareness Month, and so we have lots of, of things that have been happening and lots of things that will be happening to raise awareness for brain injury. So. Excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Let's definitely get to that in a bit. So who else do we have in the room? So I'm Elaine Dublin. Um, I am someone who uh, experiences brain injury. Um, I have one as a result of a motor vehicle accident. And I, this place has been a great source of uh, support during that time. Okay, okay. Hi, I'm Nicole. Uh, I am an occupational therapist and I've been working with people with brain injury in the community for about nine years now. 
Um, and I joined the board of the Brain Injury Association, which is how I originally became connected to it. Uh, that was in 2012. Uh, and I'm, I'm not on the board anymore. I uh, resigned last fall. Uh, and since then, I've been running uh, a support group for people with brain injury uh, out of the association uh, that runs monthly uh, called ABI FYI. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Yeah, sure. Sure. Hi, I'm Melanie Smythe. Um, I'm an occupational therapy student from Queen's University, and I'm currently doing a placement with Nicole. Okay. Mm. Great, great. Did you uh, have... Uh, a particular interest in working with this type of uh, organization? Definitely, yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Let's talk about uh, the Brain Injury Association of Peterborough. How, how long has this organization been around and what's what's a bit of history on, on this place? Okay, so we have been in, ex in existence since 1988. Um, the Brain Injury Association was started by um, some moms who had some very uh, some, uh, they had sons who were injured and there was no support in place back in 1988. So it started around um, a kitchen table and then it became a support group in uh, a space that they could rent um, and it's just grown to where we are now. Um, we're funded through the Local Health Integrated uh, Network. Um, and um, through Central East, we have um, $989,000 of funding, which allows us to do some really um, um, great work with the individuals that may have uh, funding to uh, be able to work with rehab uh, services or may not. So we have a, a very wide um, um, variety of individuals that we're working with here at the association um, and I'm gonna let Nicole speak to you more about the rehab part of so we we've had this amazing um, collaboration with Nicole mm -hmm. in that uh, we realized there was a, a, a gap in service that um, we weren't able to meet with the information um, required around living your life with a brain injury and so that's what the ABI FYI information education support group grew out of. <laughs> it's a nice acronym. Yeah it, it is uh, it's an incredible it's been going for about a, a year and a half now um, and through some recent uh, one-time funding we were able to take it into the Northumberland County um, and had eight sessions throughout the uh, month of uh, March so what do those sessions look like? Yeah, what's that all about? Yeah, so the information session is an hour and a half. Um, the group is open to uh, members of the association, but also to members of the public, caregivers, family. Uh, so I think that's something that's unique about this group, um, that it's really open for all people to attend and, and uh, get the information. Um, so there's usually like a PowerPoint presentation on a specific topic. Um, like headache management, stress management, uh, communication after brain injury, uh, coping with emotions. Uh, so we'll sort of go through the material, but I, I think the thing I like about the group is uh, we do have a couple of opportunities where people can kind of share information between each other. Uh, and I think that's uh, one of the most valuable things to be able to have peer-to-peer -peer interactions and you know people can share their own uh, experience and what's worked for them or what hasn't mm. um, so I've really enjoyed being uh, a part of this uh, group um, I learned so much from the people who attend uh, and you know that helps me personally and professionally as well uh, and I carry some of that uh, knowledge into my day job uh, yeah. so um, yeah ABI FYI I think um, is something that's growing and that's really exciting 
Right on. And uh, are there any great mysteries that have been uncovered or, I mean, amazing uh, great stories that you could share? I guess the stories of those conversations are probably really compelling and, and some of the things that come out there, whether they might be confidential or not. But Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things that I can um, share <laughs> with about the success of the ABIFYI was, as I said, it was a gap in service for us. So we have we have the funding that we can support individuals either um, in their home, in their community, um, individuals that have identified as wanting um, support through in their their day to day life. Um, we also have our ABI day service downstairs where individuals can attend and spend the day with us and uh, therapeutic rec interventions um, happen. Um, it's it's uh, meaningful engagements um, as as the individual wants, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not gr- it's some group programming, but it's not all group pro- programming. What the ABI FYI has allowed us to do is meet the needs that were beyond our current service delivery. So we had we had family. It's it's really interesting to attend a group. You have you have uh, an individual who's living with brain injury. You have their caregiver, spouse, partner, friend. You have uh, students who are new to brain injury who want to learn more about it. Um, we have friends. Um, it's, it really is a dynamic group in that um, they're coming and they're, they're getting information about brain injury. And then in the breakout sessions, there's peer-to-peer support as well. So it helps to normalize mm. life. I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I've seen, what I've witnessed is that it, um, it is um, a very welcoming environment to um, access information that you might not have been able to. So there are lots of supports online um, that you can, the internet is a, a wealth of information. What this is is that at a deeper level because you have an OT there that can speak specifically to um, the challenges of living with brain injury. And then you have the caregiver experience. Elaine, you have attended a lot? Yeah, so Nicole will do some case studies of what she experienced, but people in the room have experienced, so she's very welcoming at asking us to share what are some strategies that you personally dealt with. Mm because brain injury is so unique to every individual. There's lots of symptoms that are very much the same, but the intensity of the symptoms or the specific symptoms themselves manifest very differently from person to person. And so we're able to share that and hear what other people have to say and go, oh, that maybe is a strategy that might work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one strategy that uh, someone may say that you know doesn't work in your situation, but it may work to, for someone else in the room. And that's the really kind of dynamic part of it and uh you know and then you know we're open to ask questions for both nicole and melanie like uh, melanie we're allowed to you know say like what would happen if this and they would give whatever feedback they can and and that's very helpful because um with the brain injury you get so much support for a while um if financially offered and then it's done and -hmm. then if you can't afford it it's like okay and people often forget that sometimes people with brain injuries we don't have great memories, so it's like, I know that strategy, but I can't remember exactly what it is, and this helps to bring it back, right? Because you talk about it over and over, and that's a really, you know, helpful aspect. Yeah, well, I guess every brain is unique, and, and when we go and rewire them accidentally, we never know what's, what the outcome's going to be. Exactly. So can we talk about that a little bit, of talking about the actual uh, active in brain injury, I guess? 
Uh, what kinds of folks are you dealing with? Like, what kinds of injuries? How, how do they get these kinds of injuries? Uh, there's probably a lot of misconceptions. They're not all sports, uh, sports injuries, are they? Mm-hmm. Sports would be one way that um, people might have a brain injury. Motor vehicle accidents, falls, assaults um, are other ways um, that people can get an acquired brain injury or having a stroke. Um, so the people that I work with um, daily experience like a cluster of symptoms. So there's emotional symptoms, there's cognitive symptoms, um, behavioral symptoms, um, and this really affects, uh, and physical symptoms, and this affects people's, like every activity that they engage in might be affected by their injury. Uh, so I think as a therapist, it can be challenging to try to uh, tease out things. Um, it can be overwhelming to experience a brain injury because of how global the effects are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really takes uh, an individualized approach uh, to try to figure out how to help um, a particular person. Um, and as a therapist, an occupational therapist, we sort of look at the person, uh, their environment, and their activities, uh, and how those things are interacting together. Um, but, you know, I think we also try to look at people's strengths as well uh, and tap into all of the um, existing supports that they have around them. Um, so I think recovery from a brain injury is just inherently complicated and uh, takes a lot of time and patience. And of course, patients might be in short supply um, after a brain injury. It's so difficult to navigate the system as well. So uh, to try to find like the specialized help that you need, uh, I think is really challenging in our public system. Uh, and again, I think that's why this group is so great. It just sort of gives a platform for people to come and get uh, information that they probably really need, uh, that they might not be getting uh, through the public health care system. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a great opportunity. ABI, <coughs> FYI, uh, experts and people with lived experience sharing best practices right. and being able to connect you with the services that you need. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder. It's really exciting. Um, we're talking about being able to take this into Northumberland County once uh-huh. a month as well. So uh, the pilot project that we just, uh, through the one-time funding, um, has revealed that th- this will work in other counties as well, and there is a great need there. So um, we're in the works for talking about launching that in the fall. Is there an equivalent organization in other areas? We are it. You are so it. So we are the Green <clears throat> Injury Association of the four counties. Uh, so, Peabrill City and uh, County, Northumberland, um, City of Cortha Lakes, Halliburton. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm really curious, how many people are living in Peterborough with an acquired brain injury? Do you have any guess? Or how many people do you serve, I guess? So, so we're currently uh, supporting, um, we have a number of different functional centers. So in our ABI personal support and independence training, that's our, um, that's the, our client service coordinators and our uh, community support worker that goes out into people's homes and into the communities. Um, so we're supporting 240 individuals in that functional center with over 7,900 hours of care. Um, In our ABI day service, so we have ABI day services downstairs, Monday through Friday, 9 to 3, and we also have a day service in uh, Lindsay, um, one day a week on a Friday. Uh, We're supporting 135 individuals um, with uh, 7,600 attended days, so people are attending that many days. Um, uh, Community Case Management and Coordinated Care Cafe. We're really um, 
Coordinated uh, Care Cafe? Yes, that's what we call it. Ooh. So we'll show you the, uh, we can take a tour and show you. It's, uh, that's relatively new funding. We've had it uh, for a year and a bit now, and it's also uh, Lynn funded, Local Health Integrated Central East Lynn funded. Um, we're really excited about that. That's a new service delivery where we have a case manager, um, the CC Cafe, we call it, who, <laughs> where we have a rec therapist who works with the individuals who attend that day program um, or day service. And we also have a, um, a complex caseworker that is able to go out into the community to doctor's appointments, into the individuals' homes. The, the clients that we're supporting in the CC Cafe uh, are living with brain injury, mental health and addictions, might be precariously housed near homeless, have some that we're supporting that are homeless. So okay. we work very closely with our community partners in supporting these individuals. And the other functional center that uh, we're funded for is our health promotion and education and community development. Um, so that's our uh, system navigator. Her name is Deborah Prescott. And um, individuals that may be um, being, um, um, they're in rehab out of the community here and they're going to be coming home to this community, Deborah may, may be. Um, um, contacted to support them in that transfer of, of service back to the Peterborough uh, area. The Peterborough uh, orientation. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, or there may be, there might be somebody that just doesn't fit into service criteria as it exists, um, and Deborah will help with the navigator. She's part of the uh, 14 system navigators across the province, um, and they meet uh, monthly and talk about brain injury, so, uh, and service delivery, and what's working in other regions, and what we could maybe uh, look at doing here. We're really happy to be able to share some of the things that we're doing uh, at BIAPR um, because I think it's exciting and we're very fortunate to have the funding to be able to try new things. Um, and the ABIFYI, um, I can't divulge who, but uh, there was a very generous uh, donor who um, made a donation to the association for us to try new service delivery and, and support our clients. So, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm wondering who your, your clients are actually on the ground. So you mentioned that there are some folks who, who are struggling with a, a package of things, and mm -hmm. some of those are the, the ones that need the most kind of service. But mm -hmm. there, there's probably a range of folks. And, there is. And I, I imagine that, uh, that you have young people and you have older people and you have everybody in between. Is that, is that the case? It is. It is very much that. Uh, every brain injury is unique and... Every one of us, whether we know it or not, have have a family member or a friend or somebody who has experienced um, brain injury. We now know that a concussion is a brain injury. Uh, they've used the term mild traumatic brain injury. There's nothing mild about any brain injury. Uh, so it's kind of uh, something where we we don't use the MTB uh, moniker too much, uh, we could, a concussion. So I think for us, um, with the awareness being raised for uh, the fact that a concussion, doesn't matter how you've um, experienced your concussion, whether it's through um, sports or falling on the ice or um, getting hit on the head by a door or whatever, um, I think it's important that... Uh, and there's some really good work being done uh, by the Ontario Brain Injury Association and uh, Ontario Neurotrauma Foundation um, with the concussion guidelines and um, 
the, the, the discussion is just beginning, and it's... Uh, it's, it's a bit of a hot topic, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah a lot of things mm-hmm. have to change. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a football coach and official and past player, and I know that that sport needs to change, or else we're going to lose that sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of misconceptions around that, and I think, you know, head injuries. We should be preventing those at all costs, mm-hmm. even if we have to change something really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> um, you were asking a little bit about who, you know, who are the people that we work with. Yeah. I think something that's challenging about brain injury is that it's sort of invisible. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> you might not not know that you're interacting with someone with brain injury. Um, or it could even be, you know, someone that's quite close to you, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you know that they have a brain injury, um, but you don't maybe fully understand how it's impacting them. Like mm-hmm. the um, the difficulties are really quite internal um, that people experience and can't really be seen on the outside sometimes, or don't really clearly manifest. Uh, I think that's challenging for people because, you know, with a physical injury, we can kind of see what the problem is mm-hmm. and sort of clear what you need to do to get better. Um, but brain injury is so much more complicated than that. And so I think sometimes people might uh, feel misunderstood because, uh, you know, they could be in a busy setting and experiencing like sensory overload. Uh, and then what you might see is sort of a behavior whereby they want to leave the situation or leave early, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, then you're sort of missing out on certain social opportunities. So I think that's a big challenge uh, with this type of injury. Yeah, because if someone has a broken arm, you know, then they can't do something with that arm, excuse me, or broken leg, so you know what their limitations are because you can't see it. Uh, You often get people saying, well, why can't you figure that out? That's pretty simple. And it was like, yeah, it used to be, but now it isn't. And and I, mine was as a result of a car accident, but I had <clears throat> multiple concussions before uh, due to sports and just because I was also an active kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And part of the thing over time was you always bounce back from them, you always bounce back from them, and you never understand that point in time when I can't bounce back from it. Like, <clears throat> my head's not broken, I'm not, you know, nobody can see what's inside of it. Um, the skull-wise, but the inside of it seems to be broken, and this time I can't seem to fix it, and I don't know why. And so you feel kind of helpless because it, it's kind of scary when you've always bounced back, and you know, two weeks later and you're not, and six weeks later and a month, and it's mm-hmm. a year, and and then that's where these things help. And and uh, the Brain Injury Association was also really good in the sense that it was a point in time when you could come in and. It kind of fit, but it didn't fit, and so you mentioned to them about, you know, what is there for other people, and they offered then um, a support group uh, for people uh, that had it and had a a supervisor in it, and now we have uh, peer-led support groups here as well. Um, And then through the association, too, they set up, uh, the province does it, a peer mentoring program where people who have had it and experienced it for a while can actually do phone calls with someone around the province mm-hmm. once a month to you know, kind of help uh, support whether their people are going through, uh, just to be an ear because unless you really experience it, you don't really know it. And I had concussions before and I don't think I experienced it because I always bounce back and when you don't bounce back, that's when all of a sudden it's, uh, it's a whole different world. And you gotta learn to it's a long journey, but you got to figure out the new you, and uh, that's not always an easy thing to do when you've been able to do what you wanted in the past, whenever you wanted, and now you're you limited in what you can and cannot do. Yeah. Do other people bring that up with you? I mean, the new you, 
I, I, I'm not trying to get too personal here, oh, but I, from my own experience, yeah. people mention, you know, you're behaving a little differently. You you uh, you seem a little bit uh, not yourself, and I mean, uh, that happens. I, yeah. So I, I was on a, a trip not too long ago, and, and we were doing things, and, and I felt bad because I actually had to go and leave and take a break and mm-hmm. then meet them up later for the evening. And, uh, you know, I said to them, I hadn't seen some of them in 30 years. It was a softball reunion down in Texas. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't, I couldn't do the whole day, and I had to take that break in between. And then later on, somebody asked, and so I finally told them in a private conversation, and they go, we wouldn't have known. And, and that's, the, that's the good part. You don't want people to always know. Right. But the hard part is then them not knowing. Sometimes they will do that. They'll think, oh, you're rude because you have to leave. Or like mm-hmm. Nicole said, sensory overload in a, in a situation where it's like, okay, I've had people ask, oh, you have your... Uh, earplugs in. Well, yeah, but they think I have a hearing aid, right? right, right. And then it's like, no, it's earplugs because I can't drown out the background noise. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it's, so it's those different things that... Um, that are kind of manifesting itself where it never did before. Yeah, yeah, yeah people are making assumptions. I mean, it, yeah. it is kind of a common thing for people or for groups on our yeah. show where, you know, some disabilities or some challenges, some barriers are really obvious and yeah. some of them are invisible. And do you, do you say, hi, my name is Simon, I have a brain injury, or, yeah. or, or what, you know, and, and uh, how, do you, how do you catch people up? How do you make sure that they know what your boundaries are and what you can do? Uh, it's an interesting thing. When it comes to, let's say, a business downtown, trying to create an environment for everybody, a really inclusive environment, what kinds of things should they be thinking about when it comes to being able to to provide a a safe and comfortable environment for people with brain injuries? That is a great question. Um, There are actually simple things that you can do to have ABI-friendly spaces. Um, One thing could be lighting. Uh, Like fluorescent lighting is really aggressive for everybody. Um, So having a different type of lighting or lower lighting or lamp lighting versus overhead is something simple that many places could do. Um, Recently, I tried to support uh, my client with a brain injury and paraplegia to go to a walk-in clinic in a small town, and it was actually inaccessible. (laughs) So even just having those little stopgap ramps uh, would have made a huge difference that day for that person. So just having a physically accessible environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, um, I mean, if we talk about sensory overload again, we could kind of consider uh, how noisy the space is. That's something that probably can't be controlled in certain settings. Um, but the volume of the music they play sometimes yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when you go to the mall and every time you walk in one place and out another place, sometimes you walk in, you kind of walk in and you walk out just because it's mm-hmm. so loud. If it was just a lower level, it would be great. But I get it. They're all excited and it's mm-hmm. you know, music is great. But you don't realize what it is until, mm. yeah, it bothers when you. The, when the echo of people you yes. don't know and you're not talking to are bouncing off the walls around you and it's all around you and yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. dark cloud. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just lastly, like in a setting like a, a large recreation center, for example, just having um, really clear signage is, an, is something else that's really helpful just for wayfinding. Mm-hmm. Right. Stuck mm-hmm. in the middle of a big room. What do yeah. I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, what other kinds of things? 
should we be discussing? Is there anything else that you want to share with uh, up-and-coming events and yes, things like that? Yes, that, that would be great. So, as I said at the top, um, June is Brain Injury Awareness Month, and um, we're really excited to be um, participating once again in um, a project, a provincial project called Unmasking Brain Injury. Um, and I'm not sure if you uh, were... Um, we're able to see some of our masks um, in um, in our window last year, and we were also at uh, the Taste of Downtown and Pulse and whatever. So this is the the flyer for it. So it's a it's a uh, provincial um, campaign Thanks. where um, there were over 1,500 masks that were created across the province, um, and uh, were all unveiled in some way or another. There were galleries um, displays. There were events there were all kinds of events last June um, and again this June we're going to be going to Queen's Park oh, okay. um, and brain injury will be um, discussed in legislature um, and then there's going to be a, um, um, a reception after so we're inviting our local MPPs to come to the event and we're really excited to be going Elaine you're going with us um, um, next uh, Thursday on May 30th we're going to uh, be going there we also um, are going to be in the library um, with our display of our masks um, throughout the month of June um, we're very happy about that um, because the masks are incredible and they tell this this the individual stories um, in ways that we as people that work with individuals that have a brain injury, we, we can try, but there's nothing like a person's words. Or um, last year um, we had uh, 12 public service announcement spots that were created that we'll put on our Twitter site and, and keep those out in the airwaves. Um, and we're, um, what we did was we took 12 individuals, their masks, and were able to go into uh, your TV and have the, the voiceover recorded by the individual. Oh, wow. Who, so it's their story, literally, and it's pretty powerful. We can show those to you if you'd like. Um, we have them here. Um, we'll be at Taste of Downtown uh, with our window display and also out on the street. Um, we have some um, people with lived experience that are going to be attending, and we also have some um, staff that will attend and answer questions if there's anybody interested. Um, on June 13th, we have the Unmasking Brain Injury Artist Reception at the library. Uh, from 4.30 to 7 um, in the auditorium, we'll have light refreshments, and um, we'll have the public service announcement spots playing, um, and uh, the artists themselves will be um, there to... Um, interact with and tell their stories or or just meet and greet people um on june 18th we it's our agm but we always make it more than just an agm yeah. our annual general meeting we it's our biem so if you hear me use that acronym brain injury awareness month uh mm -hmm. celebration so each year it's a celebration each year it seems to get a little bigger so last year we had 85 plus um, um oh, wow. individuals yeah. that attend um and uh, we have our board members who attend and volunteers so there's always something um to uh, be celebrating and last year we shared the ps the public service announcement spots this year we're um, very happy to have tanya jewel from obaya the ontario brain injury association attending um, she's a community engagement coordinator and she's the one that's coordinating all of us to get to queen's park okay. um, so she'll be in attendance at that 
Um, our next ABI FYI, the last one before we break for summer, is on June 20th, and uh, it's uh, Common Cognitive Symptoms Strategies for Success. And Nicole, did you want to say anything more about that? Well, the title's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There'll be no test to recall the exact wording of the title. Um, but it will be about cognitive strategies. I think, um, you know what, <laughs> you need strategies, I think, after an injury like this. Yeah. So, you know, whether that's strategies for remembering things, paying attention, um, processing information. Information, um, or executive functions like planning and organizing and making decisions. So um, there's so many different, um, you know, cognitive areas to consider, and they all interact with each other. So hopefully, this presentation will be a bit of an overview uh, and a breakdown of some of those cognitive areas and what people can do to try to um, best hone their skills. So all are welcome. Um, if you are Drop interested, in. just, uh, well, we'd like to know how many people so that we can make sure that we have refreshments and chairs set up mm -hmm. for, and that are, we're actually at a good stage in the, the uh, ABI FYI where we might be growing out of the space that we're in, so um, we might need to uh, reassess. So if you are interested, give the office a call, 705-741-1172, and we'll put you on the list so that we're ready for you to attend if you're coming on the 20th. So I think that would be, we're just really excited. June is a, June is a very busy uh, month uh, for us, and there's lots going on. Okay. Which is a good thing. That is a good thing. Yeah. Well, I've, if it's all right, I've got a couple of other Great. So that was the interview with the Brain Injury Association of Peterborough. A reminder that this is Brain Injury Awareness Month. And uh, I think that that's going to be it for the show. There, there is more to the interview and there are more interviews with the Brain Injury Association. They're going to be available on our SoundCloud and also I think we'll make them available on the podcast as well. Is that right, Devin? Uh, yeah, we can um, try to figure that one out. Right on. How to do that. So we're just going to get a song playing, and we'll transition into the next show. All right. Talk soon, guys, people. Bye-bye. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Bye.